Welcome back to Respect the Dead, the podcast where we don't. Betty, it's no surprise that everyone celebrated your demise. And now, worms are eating your eyes. So don't you worry your rotting head as you sleep in your sodden bed. It's time to respect the dead. Hi, everyone. My name's Hoots. I'm Kellen Conrad. And I'm Ailey Mandy. I love that moment at the start of every episode where the person doing the episode introduced their name and then the other two have to play chicken. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I just I just barrel ahead now. I'm like, fuck it. (laughs) We never work it out. We we never like talk ahead of time or anything. We just kind of like yeah, look at each other awkwardly. It, it didn't even occur to me that we could discuss it's it. It's my favorite. Like not. Not until you said it right We're now not. was I like, oh, I, I guess we could like talk to each other. No, <laughs> I'd rather just stare awkwardly at our webcams until one of us breaks. The last episode was the first one where I remembered how the podcast started. You did. I was very proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> like, what is again? this? This is like, this is so professional. I can't, I can't even handle how professional we are. We're so professional. So profesh. The McElroy family are like spinning in their fucking graves listening to me take over the podcast industry. Is that the, is that the, my, my brother, my my yeah, my brother, my brothers, brother, and me, my all the brothers, <laughs> my two brothers and I, seven brides for seven brothers. <laughs> if you can't tell, I'm I'm only marginally aware the of mother. these people. I've never listened to anything from their podcasting empire, to my knowledge, anyway. I have. I love them. Um, so I'm a stan. I'm a sicko. You're a sicko. I thought that's a respect the dead fan. Oh, sorry. I like just in general, like I'm a creep for them. I'm like obsessed. <laughs> okay, but yes, no, we are our stands are the sickos. That's fair. Yeah, our stands are the sickos, and I guess when one of the M- MacArthur, Mac- what are their names? <laughs> McElroy. <laughs> Mac- when one of the McElroys dies, you're you're doing their episode. <laughs> uh. <laughs> So I want to start today's episode by talking a little bit about the Equal Rights Amendment. Mm. Currently in the United States Constitution, uh, it does not guarantee protections against gender discrimination. 25 U.S. states have gender protections ratified in their state constitutions, but there is no federal constitutional amendment that guarantees equal rights to all Americans, regardless of sex or gender identity. The ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, is a proposed amendment to the Constitution that would guarantee that. The very first time the ERA was proposed was all the way back in 1923, co-authored by famous militant suffragist Alice Paul and feminist and socialist Crystal Eastman. And throughout the 1960s and 1970s, during the women's liberation movement, the ERA gained significant bipartisan support, and Congress set a ratification deadline of March 22, 1979, for the ERA. Through 1977, the ERA received 35 of the 38 necessary state ratifications to add the amendment to the Constitution, and it seemed like the ratification of the ERA was a certainty. Then... Idaho, Nebraska, Kentucky, and Tennessee 
formally rescinded their ratifications, and South Dakota rescinded by way of a sunset provision as of the original March 22, 1979 deadline. The deadline was initially extended to June 30, 1982, and there had been additional attempts at extensions to the deadline for ratification. But as it stands, there is still no equal rights amendment in the United States Constitution. The reason we shat the bed on passing this once bipartisan, overwhelmingly popular piece of legislation is the subject of today's episode, mm. Phyllis Schlafly. I don't know her, but I hate her. Interesting. That was quite the intro. You're so good at that, Hoots. So we're going to dive into Phyllis. Yeah. Oh, dive into dive Phyllis. Into <laughs> it's like a magic school bus episode gone horribly wrong. <laughs> and then we're going to dive into our gushy, mushy corpse. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> I'm like the worst, meanest <laughs> Mrs. Frizzle. Yeah. Oh, it's Miss Frizzle, right? She's, she's not married. Miss Frizzle. She wasn't, she's not married. She's a me neither girl. I, I don't think she was allowed to under U.S. law at the because time. Because she's, yeah, she's a queer yeah, icon. I was just about to make that same joke. Because <laughs> she's a lesbian. <laughs> yeah, queer icon. Queer icon, Miss Frizzle. Phyllis Schlafly was born Phyllis McAlpin Stewart on August 15, 1924, and was raised in St. Louis. Schlafly and her younger sister, Odile, grew up during the Great Depression, and her father, John Bruce Stewart, a machinist and salesman, spent much of Phyllis's early life unemployed because of said Great Depression. Her mother, uh, also Odile Stewart, uh, a.k.a. Dottie, had a bachelor's degree and a two-year certification in library science, which is, like, very unusual for the, you know, late 1920s into the early 30s. Um, she was an educated woman in St. Louis. Um, so around 1932, when John Bruce gave up hope of finding work entirely, Dottie Stewart goes back to work, first at a department store and then... Uh, as a school teacher and eventually as a librarian at the St. Louis Art Museum, where I believe she continued to work until her death. Oh, there's a plane flying right above my apartment. No, no. <laughs> it was like, Ugh. why did that plane sound like it was dropping pots? Oh, there's something happening outside my so apartment. So both Mandy and oh, I, I heard thought, like, like, maybe not. Okay, the purge oh, going on oh, outside. Oh, <laughs> Caitlin, do you have something going on outside yours? I, I, I looked at the window and I just thought the reflection like, in, in the of dark the reflection show? here it's, of this shape of a body. It's flat. He's coming for us. <laughs> so listeners, Caitlin has got um, like a fucking psychopath Caitlin has got like a mannequin torso <laughs> in their apartment uh there's flowers coming out of his oh, that's not, not that better. doesn't that's make it better <laughs> it doesn't make it better and Caitlin okay. just scared that happens themselves. in Hannibal okay <laughs> Caitlin just scared themselves seeing a disembodied torso floating in their window <laughs> Yeah, I think my upstairs neighbor started fighting for a second because I was hearing banging and I thought it was outside, but I think it was above me. They were like, why don't we ever record a podcast? You never want to do anything fun. Probably, actually. Um, also, who, when you were like, because, you know, Great Depression, and I don't know why, but I really wanted to be like, how great was it? Was Real like, I don't think great. That's what's happening here. <laughs> 
<laughs> like that's not that's not how jokes work anymore. It could be. Let me bring it back. So throughout this time that uh, throughout this time, oh, the Great right. Depression, Dottie is the primary breadwinner <laughs> of the household. Phyllis's father didn't believe in taking welfare from the government, so John refused to seek any kind of assistance or relief under the New Deal government. So to support her family, Dottie commuted two hours uh, to and from her nine-hour workdays, six days a week. So John Bruce was like, I refuse to take assistance from the government. I will take assistance from my wife. (laughs) He's like, I don't take handouts. Well... Not from the. Mommy, I'm a very proud. <laughs> mommy, will you go to work for nine hours, six days a week for me, mommy? <laughs> like, um, I I'm very comfortable in my masculinity. That's why I have my. That's how I have my wife work like a ninety hour work so, weeks down at the library mat factory or whatever. So he was a feminist icon, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And legitimately, so was Dottie. Like, Dottie is fully mm. in the 1930s a, a woman who is the primary breadwinner of her household. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's, I mean, I, the reason I tell the story about her youth is because it's so fucking ironic. So Dottie not only managed to keep the fan- family financially afloat, but to secure her daughter's free tuition at a respectable Catholic girls' school in St. Louis, she volunteered to catalog and maintain the school library. So on her one day off a week, she was like, I'm going to go volunteer at this Catholic school so that Odile and uh, Phyllis can get free tuition at this, like, bougie Catholic girls' school. Kind of like it. She's, I mean... Girl boss Dottie, she shouldn't have to do all of this, but she did what she had to do during the Great Depression, which is more than you can say for John Bruce. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure it was horrible, but if you, like, picture her, mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of really good montages in this that, I'm, <laughs> that I, like, yes, was totally. imagining. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying yeah. that, too. Her walking, her driving back and forth. Yeah. And her, yeah, like, absolutely. 1920s, like, drop skirt dress with a cloche hat. Yes. Getting on the, mm-hmm. getting on the trolley to work two hours each day. <laughs> girl bossing it up uh, <laughs> I love Dottie after the outbreak of World War II John Bruce would secure work again as an electrical in- engineer for the war production board and the family's economic situation improved dramatically uh, he also actually ended up uh, inventing and patenting a new type of engine so he, he did get his shit together <laughs> he did eventually find work and yeah he got his shit together uh, Dottie uh, again I I think she continued to work at the um library at the st louis art museum for the rest of her life so she she maintained her career after he got a job as well but then he he also started to contribute to the family income and uh so by the time she was a teenager phyllis's um financial family financial situation had kind of improved somewhat uh, and phyllis was an excellent student she graduated valedictorian of her high school and her grades earned her a four-year scholarship to maryville college a local catholic college that she attended for about a year or two before enrolling in washington university now she didn't have a scholarship for washington university so she got a full-time job uh, at the st louis ordinance plant testing ammunition to pay for her tuition because because it was world war ii mm-hmm. see so, so you got a factory job testing ammunition and also that could pay your tuition back then it was another time (laughs) what a weird job yeah she was like 
Like define testing. So she was literally like um, testing ballistics. She was like firing machine guns and stuff. Okay, that's what I was wondering. I'm like, is she hot? Right. Like one, <gasps> homegirl's eardrums must have been so damaged. Number two, also amazing uh, montage. Amazing yet montage. again. Yeah. She of was just like, like her, her like hopping on the trolley and then like hopping off and then her just like blowing the shit out of some like yeah some, like German looking mannequins or something. Like a, 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 a target. Yeah, a target made up something a German that she's shooting with like a machine gun. Yeah, and and again, hot. (laughs) And instead of the like, instead of the early 1930s cloche hat, she's now got those like that victory roll hairstyle. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's wearing, yeah, she's wearing a a tailored suit. But then she changes, she changes, she wears the tailored suit on the trolley and then she changes into her coveralls when she gets to fire her machine gun. Oh, (laughs) I mean, the biopic we're writing would be um, five stars at least. Total... Um, Oscar bait. Phyllis earned her bachelor's at Washington University, then went to Radcliffe, a women's college affiliated with Harvard for a graduate degree. Harvard at the time did not officially admit women and was under considerable pressure from early feminists to do so. So she technically studied at Harvard with Harvard professors, but her degree was conferred to her by Radcliffe College. Mm -hmm. And she would later claim in life that she studied at both Washington University and Harvard and experienced no gender discrimination at either of those institutions. But that's just like a bold-faced lie because (laughs) Harvard didn't even give her a degree. Like she had to get it through Radcliffe. In the immediate post-war period, returning veterans were given preference for job opportunities and young women like Phyllis struggled to find work. In 1945, she won an essay contest sponsored by the Washington Daily News in which she lamented, quote, the cards are stacked against the enterprising and ambitious person and in favor of the mediocre adults or the unqualified veteran. <laughs> so she she was doing a like, the, these veterans are taking our jobs. It's, it's like, it's so, like when you look at like America today and the like faux concern people have for veterans, like picking veterans as like yeah. the group you want to discriminate against, like vocally, is such a bold move. Like World War II <laughs> veterans. <laughs> like like arguably, yeah. The veterans I have the most like empathy and sympathy and for. respect for. Yeah, yeah I'm like, like we are fighting the Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know who you know who I fucking hate? People who fought the Nazis. Lazy pieces of shit. Like they're unqualified in taking my jobs. <laughs> what have they done for society other than fighting Nazis? Yes. <laughs> unqualified and taking my job. I love that combination. <laughs> Phyllis was frustrated with what she saw as the government giving a leg up to people less qualified than her, and she eventually fell in and got a job with a conservative think tank called the American Enterprise Association, later the American Enterprise Institute. This is a a run-of-the-mill conservative think tank that's like still around today. So she worked with the American <laughs> she worked with the American Enterprise Association for about a year. And after that year she had kind of fully blossomed into a like full-on hardcore conservative reactionary shithead. So she went from somebody who was like not very political but like was annoyed that veterans were getting preference preference for jobs over her to like just being a full-on like mouthpiece for conservatism. 
So it was, it was during this year working with AEA that she became especially gifted at being a political mouthpiece. She was very good at distilling complex ideas down to simple sound bites. Mm-hmm. And she was described as sounding like a fat, old, cigar-chomping ward healer. So she was like a young woman in her 20s at this point, and she could talk like an old conservative politico. Mm-hmm. She moved home to St. Louis and immediately secured a position as the campaign manager of a congressional candidate named Claude Bakewell. And, and like, this is like, again, like it's so unusual for the time because she's like a 22 year old woman at this point in the forties. And she is okay. a campaign manager for a congressional campaign. This is like unheard of. Um, but he was like so impressed with her ability to like sound like a seasoned, like, politico that that he was like oh well i'll hire you right out the gate and with phyllis's campaign management bakewell got elected to congress in 1946 in 1949 phyllis was still working in politics when she met a fellow conservative activist named fred schlafly so because fred schlafly and phyllis uh both had busy careers in politics. Fred and Phyllis had an unusual courtship for the time, only meeting on the weekends. And during the week, they exchanged letters and poems, many of which were intellectual exchanges about politics and theology. He was just like another conservative that she met through the political sphere. And it sounds like they loved each other very much and they were both like just nerds for politics. So they bonded over that and Mm. good for them. They married on October 20th, 1949, and their honeymoon was in Mexico, and they took with them an extra suitcase full of books. Oh, what nerds. I know. It's kind of cute. Like, if if they were both monsters, it is sweet that they were both right. a couple of If she wasn't on this podcast, I wouldn't be, I'd be <laughs> yeah. more like, oh, I mean, God. But <laughs> I, can, I can still think it's cute. I yeah. mean... Young love is sweet. I watched Buffy, and I loved... I loved Drusilla and Spike's relationship, yeah. even though they were both completely <laughs> fucking out of their heads, mm. monsters, and literally soulless. I was still like, oh, we love each other. <laughs> I love the vibe. We just love to see people in love, you know? Yeah. I just love I love, love. I love love. <laughs> I'm a romantic. <laughs> Phyllis Schlafly, newly married and still working in politics, dedicated herself to the cause of anti communism. And she had her hands full because she believed that every goddamn thing was communism and every goddamn (laughs) person, including Harry S. Truman and Dwight D. Eisenhower, were secret communists. So she's like one of those, like at the time, this was not as prevalent as it is today, but they were like small, very far right wing factions in the late 40s, early 50s um, that started to like just see communism everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's the genesis of, of the like clusterfuck that we have now. So the sort of um, it's called grassroots anti-communism. Um, so the sort of grassroots anti-communist movement at the time felt a lot like it does today. There were conspiracy theories that communists were actively trying to infiltrate and destroy American society and that Soviet agents of communism had infiltrated into the highest levels of American government, including several mainstream members of the Republican Party. So it was it was very QAnon. It was basically mm, like yeah. all the Democrats have been infiltrated and like a few of the moderate Republicans are also puppets of the Soviet Union. Sounding a lot like uh, McCarthyism and everyone 
having the red scare and they're everywhere. We got to find them and root them out. Yeah. This is that time. Yeah. Yeah. This is that time. These are, these are the same people. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, that um, early fifties. Adopting this grassroots anti-communist platform, Phyllis runs for Congress and she wins a victory in the Republican primary. Again, like in a fucked, like it, it's so ironic, like knowing where she's going because like, She's a woman in 1950, 1949, 1950 that r- runs for Congress, like feminist icon Phyllis Schlafly. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and she she secures the Republican nomination. She she wins a mm-hmm. victory in the Republican primary. Um, and she was also it was also the first time that the she was the fringe right far right candidate who defeated the moderate conservative candidate. And that was like one of the first major times that that had actually happened um mm. which we see um a frighteningly uh high number of times nowadays yeah um so she was the first person to be like the the kind of fringe lunatic who got more votes than the moderate republican she was the blueprint henny mm-hmm. she was the marjorie taylor green <laughs> <laughs> however unlike marjorie taylor green she did go on to lose the general election to the democrat from that point on, because she had um, uh, won the Republican primary in this congressional race, she kind of like guaranteed her spot at the center of Republican politics for the rest of her life. Like she, she, because she was so remarkable, right? Because you just, you didn't even see liberal women doing that kind of thing. And they're supposed to be the ones that in theory support women's rights and, and women um, being a part of the political sphere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She did it as a right-wing woman. Um, so she was very um, useful to the right. In right. Respect. Yeah, I was about to say useful is probably the best She's word. Very useful. She's a very useful tool for them. And uh, that guarantees her um, her kind of spot, her spotlight for, for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. Phyllis Schlafly from here on also becomes one of the authors of what will become known as the religious right and the moral majority in this period. She's right up there with uh, people like Jerry Falwell. After her run for Congress, she started writing pamphlets, books, and essays about anti-communism. In the early 1960s, Phyllis became involved with another right-wing think tank, the American Security Council, which had kind of started as a union-busting organization, quote-unquote, helping corporations (laughs) fight communism in their factories. (laughs) Oh, my God. Any kind of labor organizing is communism. Um, (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) If you want rights, you're a communist. Yeah, exactly. It's that. (laughs) Uh, But but eventually the the ASC pivoted to concerning itself with the defense industry and the military-industrial complex, um, basically because just a bunch of former high-ups in American military became involved with the organization. And their chief concern, their chief um, issue and fear then was that America was at the constant threat of attack by communist forces. At the ASC, Phyllis Schlafly met Chester Ward, um, who would become her writing partner on a number of books about politics and anti-communism. Uh, they do like writing and research together. Uh, like we do. They collab. <laughs> oh, collab. <laughs> collab. It's like the fucking photo negative of us. <laughs> um, one, of the, 
One of these books was called Kissinger on the Couch, which was critical of Henry Kissinger, who was one of the 20th century's most underrated monsters and famously <laughs> is a future episode subject I've already called dibs on. <laughs> however, yes, you have. <laughs> however, Schlafly and Ward's book uh, was not critical of uh, some of the more valid criticisms of uh of Henry Kissinger. It was nothing more than an anti-Semitic screed that accused him of being a communist agent. The book also speculated, quote, Henry, says some who know him, has no God. Does he have a country? Um, and, and with that quote, they're deliberately referencing the wandering Jew stereotype, yeah. um, which is that like Jewish people can't be loyal uh. to any nation uh, and therefore can't be trusted. Like, uh, that's like an ancient anti-Semitic like yeah. bullet point yeah. of like, yeah, they, there's only the tribe. They're never loyal citizens. So it's a, it's a trash book. Mm -hmm. uh, another book published by Schlafly and Ward, The Betrayers. <laughs> Fucking killer title, The Betrayers. I was about to say. <laughs> it's this so is, good. I'm like, Ooh, and the cover art. Oh. oh, yeah. The cover is so yes. good. It's mm -hmm. just like a white book with a picture of an American flag. They are just it. really nailing that aesthetic. Iconic. The Betrayers. Yes. yes. Very good at branding. Uh, so <laughs> the Betrayers pushed the narrative that members of the Johnson administration actively weakened and impaired the U.S. government, believing that America was doomed and the Soviet Union was destined to win the Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's just like the same unhinged shit where it's like um, at the highest level of government, <laughs> the deep state is trying to undermine America yeah. mm -hmm. and sell you out to the commies. Like it's, it's all the genesis of that kind of bullshit mm -hmm. around this around this time phyllis also starts advocating for the u.s to have a first strike capability against russia which is basically the best defense is a good offense strategy for nuclear weapons it's like we gotta nuke all of their nukes and end the world before before they can what could go wrong <laughs> It's, Literally, it's what could go wrong? <laughs> we got nothing it's to lose. Totally <laughs> <on hand. laughs> it's win-win. <laughs> Literally, fight fire with fire. <laughs> like really fucked up fire. Yeah. <laughs> but in this case, the fire is nuclear weapons. Is <laughs> a stockpile of nuclear weapons. I don't think it. I don't think it works when it's fire either. Like just. <laughs> from like a from a metaphorical standpoint even then it still doesn't make sense but this, this is their it exact flag <laughs> this is the worst so obviously she also advocated for increased u.s armament calling on the u.s to build up a world-ending stockpile of nuclear weapons and she referred re she referred to nuclear weapons as quote a marvelous gift given to our country by a wise god. <laughs> yep. That is, that is some straight up super villain shit. Yes, it yes, is. It is. Yes, it is. <laughs> like that is not just like a shitty person. Like that is 100% some like pinky mm -hmm. in the brain level nonsense. Yeah. Her and yeah. her little buddy. Like, <laughs> it's a cackling cartoon. Yeah. Like... <laughs> If she had a mustache, she'd be twiddling it. Like, just 
her with her fucking nuclear weapons, just like rubbing, rubbing up and down the side of it. Like somebody (laughs) (laughs) like, oh, my beautiful, my precious, my gift from God. Dr. Phyllis Strangelove. (laughs) (laughs) Phyllis Schlafly was also around this time a secret member of the John Birch Society, uh, which is an infamous far right organization founded in 1958 that is largely credited as serving as the bridge between the old right and the new right and uh, the modern paleoconservative movement in the United States. Like all of your favorite shitheads have got some kind of tie to uh, the John Birch Society. It's, It's like six degrees of separation, but with this society and conservatives instead of with Kevin Bacon and other celebrities, you know? (laughs) They've come up in, like, four of my Mm -hmm. videos so far. Yeah. (laughs) Iconic. Just, like, in the research, I keep running into them. I'm like, Iconic evil people. (laughs) Uh, And actually, um, she, when they started to get a bad reputation, she denied that she was ever a member. (laughs) Um, And then a few years ago, a bunch of letters resurfaced um, that basically showed that (laughs) she was, like, an active, like, like an operative for them for so long. Like they were giving her. She's like, I'm Birch. (laughs) (laughs) I am Birch. At the 1960 Republican National Convention, Phyllis Schlafly led a group of conservatives in opposition to Richard Nixon for his stance against segregation and discrimination of black Americans. So she was like, Richard Nixon is not racist enough. Be more racist, Richard Nixon. You can take this further, Richard. Oh, my God. <laughs> Richard oh my God. Nixon, who famously has, like, hours of audio footage of him, like, fucking dropping the N-word constantly. Constantly. Like, like he's so comfortable he was, with like, it. <laughs> his, his fucking moderate rnc platform was just like it's a bad look to oppose desegregation let's stop doing that (laughs) (laughs) and she was like no you communist (laughs) you commie piece of shit (laughs) communist icon richard nixon (laughs) i want that t-shirt i want to see uh like one of those youtube thumbnails of feminist versus communist. And it's just whatever fucking Jessica Horsefly or whatever this girl's name is versus Richard Nixon. Yeah. Feminist icon Phyllis Schlafly. Communist icon Richard Nixon. Fight. Debate. <laughs> Sorry, in my head it was more of a Mortal Kombat situation where one of them's going to rip the other one's spine out. Sorry. <laughs> Isn't that how debate works? That works too. I mean... I think Phyllis would win that hand-to-hand combat. Probably. I don't know. I feel like she's got some fire <laughs> in her. Or she did. She's dead. That's why she's on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. I forgot <laughs> what podcast this was. In 1960, she also ran for Congressional District 24. So she ran for office once again uh, and lost once again to the Democrat Charles Melvin Price, who who won the first time. So she ran against the incumbent. It was an unlikely um, victory and she, um, she lost, which was kind of, uh, predicted, um, again, a remarkable woman do, doing feminist things, <laughs> feminist icon, <laughs> Phyllis Schlafly. 
On November 22nd, 1963, John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. Spoiler alert. And for a little while, Phyllis decided that it was in poor taste to write anti-democratic material. (laughs) She was like, we just saw JFK's head explode on live TV. Um, I guess I won't dunk on the Democrats for a few months. (laughs) Honestly, she has a little more respect than like anyone on the right (laughs) does today. (laughs) I mean, even some people on the left, like she's got a little bit more tact than fucking Vosh. (laughs) (laughs) So she, she pivoted uh, slightly to criticizing the covert control quote kingmakers prominent businessmen and economic figures of the Eastern establishment held over the Republican party in her 1964 book, a choice, not an echo. So she, she pivoted from like uh, criticizing Democrats to um, vocally criticizing mainstream Republicans saying that they were again, controlled by the Soviet union um, Mm -hmm. uh, by, by prominent businessmen, uh, you know, these uh, international (laughs) bankers um, mm. who controlled politics um, and a choice not an echo uh, was a huge deal at the time uh, a choice not an echo served as a propaganda piece for the presidential campaign of far-right firebrand Barry Goldwater insisting that mainstream Republicans were the puppets of the elite and that there was a concerted campaign to prevent Goldwater from clinching the nomination so Goldwater was the very far-right candidate it was like one of the very first times that like um, the, again, a very far right presidential cam- candidate got the nomination over uh, the more moderate mainstream Republicans, um, because throughout like most of the early 20th century, you know, you're talking about like um, differences in politics by degrees <laughs> between yeah. the two sides of uh, the political spectrum uh Mm -hmm. this was a very far right guy um who again like most of his um platform was based on uh opposing the civil rights uh civil rights era um civil rights movement the john birch society purchased thousands of copies of phyllis's book and distributed it for free in an effort to help the goldwater primary campaign a choice not an echo did help Barry Goldwater get the Republican nomination, and he ran on a platform of opposing the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And the good news is he lost the election to uh, Lyndon B. Johnson by an absolute motherfucking landslide. He got absolutely destroyed. Oh, wow. He just yeah. got destroyed. Absolutely nice. got destroyed. <laughs> the bad news is that he would still go on to be an influential figure in the new right. And he kind of set the template for um, where uh, right-wing politics would, would head for the next 70 years. Okay, thank you. What? I was just like, oh, good, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> just just oh. <laughs> thanks so, so much for all that you did. Thanks for that. Thanks for what you're doing. We appreciate it. <laughs> no. <laughs> The book brought Phyllis national attention and she sort of crafted this personal myth of being just like a little housewife and a mom who who just like wrote and self-published this book as a hobby in her free time. (laughs) But like, obviously that's a complete lie. Like at this point she had had a career as a politician and an author for almost two decades. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But because she was a paleo conservative, um, she couldn't 
be like a career woman. She couldn't just be like, yeah, I've been a politician and an author for two decades. I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Like, um, make me your um, lobbyist or your congresswoman. She had to be like, oh, this is mm-hmm. just something I do for fun when I put the kids to bed, you know. <laughs> It's like a little hobby, you know, keep me busy. Yeah, you know, I get lonely sometimes in the evening, so I just thought I'd write a book. (laughs) Oh, my God. Keeps me out of my husband's hair. (laughs) Jesus, fuck. (laughs) Phyllis had six kids at home. Jesus. Again, she and Fred loved each other very much. (laughs) Phyllis had six kids at home, and for the optics, she would sometimes bring a nursing infant with her to speeches, and she'd just, like, leave it with someone outside while she spoke (laughs) to give the impression of, like, the dedicated mother who took on politics as a side project. So she'd be like... For a second, I was just imagining... She's just handing a baby. She's like a random person in the audience, like, oh, yeah, here you go. Can you hold on to this I think I think she she handed her infants off to people she knew, but it was literally like, are the cameras on? Okay, now I'm going to pluck my yeah. infant's mouth from my nipple and hand it over to you. Yeah. And um, I'm going to like craft this image of me just being like, oh, I just stumbled into this speech. Oh, well, I, I, I guess I did take a few notes. I'll read from them here. <laughs> Takes out several pages, yeah. puts on the glasses. <laughs> So for the rest of the 1960s, after Barry Goldwater's um, failure to get elected to the presidency, Phyllis Schlafly's star kind of starts to fade a bit among the new right. Um, Because, again, she's she's a woman. Like, she's never going to be there. um, She's only there, um, the face of their campaign, when it's useful to them. Yeah. Right. And she kind of just, like, kicks around a little bit in politics. Token woman. Yeah, she is the token woman. Uh, She kind of kicks around a little bit in politics, but she's a little bit less influential than she was in the lead-up to the 1964 primaries and general election. In 1967, Schlafly lost a bid uh, for the presidency of the National Federation of Republican Women against the more moderate candidate, Gladys O'Connell of California, And in 1970, she ran for public office one last time, running as the Republican candidate for Illinois' 23rd congressional district. But ultimately, she lost to Democratic incumbent Georgie Shipley. So 1970 kind of marked the end of Phyllis's hopes of ever serving in Congress or any kind of political office. Sometime after her last congressional campaign, at the suggestion of her husband, Fred, Phyllis becomes involved in opposing the popular equal rights amendment. The proposed amendment to the U.S. Constitution in March 1972 read, quote, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. That was it. That was that was the whole amendment. <laughs> and she was like, well, I'm not going to let that stop me from making this a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That was the whole amendment, like a single line, a the equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. So the proposed amendment was uh, was approved by both the House and the Senate before being sent to the states for ratification. That's the way this works. It has to be approved by the House and the Senate, and then it gets sent to the individual states to just be like, thumbs up, we approve. And then it becomes uh, an amendment to the Constitution. And as I said at the top of the episode, 38 states were needed 
to ratify the amendments. You don't have to get all 50. You just have to get a simple majority um, for it to become a law. And 30 did so in just the first year it was proposed. So 1972, that year, 30 already mm-hmm. signed on. In October, Is there a time limit? Or does it yes. just sit there until it, it gets um, signatures? No, the, the deadline for ratification was March 22nd, 1979. So they proposed it in and 19... When, when did it start? Um, 1972. Oh, okay, so seven years. Yeah. So there was there okay, was a okay. significant amount of time, and within the first year, thirty of them were like, "Fuck yeah, of course, this is." Okay. Wow. It was literally one of those things that like Democrats and Republicans were like, "This is an easy bipartisan win." Yes, we'll all sign off on that, and then it'll be on yeah. our records. Like it, it was kind of like one of those like no brainer things. Yeah. In October of 1972, she founded Stop ERA, and Stop. Stop was an acronym. Uh, the acronym was... <laughs> What's the acronym? <laughs> I love it. We're both so excited. <laughs> it's a terrible acronym. The acronym was Stop Taking Our Privileges. So the word stop is in the <laughs> I love it. Stop taking our privileges. Fancy, um, do you have some sort of plastic mouse on your windowsill? A plastic or... mouse? Oh, I have a rat over there. Okay. Because yeah. I was like, I see something <laughs> you on see your window. And, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like do I need cool. to bring this up? That's rat. <laughs> I, I can show you him later. <laughs> but he's a little like Halloween rat, like a little Halloween your, decoration. Your screen, like your video was pretty like grainy. And then it came like just super clearly into focus for like, <laughs> half a second and I just saw some like little rodent face like yeah, peering I, over your counter. Want me to grab him right now? I can grab him. Hang on. I'll bring Redigan over. I was so alarmed. Can you imagine if it was like a real enormous rat in her apartment yeah, and I'm she like... screamed? <laughs> I didn't have the headphones in but I could hear the squeal I, coming from Kaylin. I, but yeah, this is probably I love I love him, but I was so Aww. scared for a second. Because <laughs> he's so big. Oh, he's a little yeah. scared. Like, yeah. <laughs> that was so fun. Not to like just like a fucking eight inch rat in your apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Not to derail the, the whole podcast, um, but the story of how I got him is that my, I, so like ever since I was a little kid, I loved the Halloween aisle every time. I was like obsessed with all the Halloween yeah. decorations. So my grandmother took me to Rite Aid and uh, she left me in the Halloween aisle and I was just like hanging out in there. She comes back and she's like, you can pick anything you want. And I thought it was a little weird, but I was like, okay, whatever. So I picked Rat again here, right? And it turned out the reason she did that is she left me, got all the way home in West Gardner, which is like, 10 to 15 minutes away from the store, got home, walked into the house. My aunt said, where's Amanda? And she went, oh, <laughs> back to get me. And I was oblivious. No. I had a great time. I was still in the, still in the Halloween. You're I was shopping. looking at everything. Shopping the Halloween stuff. Oh my I, God. It, it's it's so kind of funny. funny too. Cause she's terrified of mice and rats. Like she's terrified of them. So the fact that she got me a rat is kind of a big <laughs> Like I want this. That's, that's it's what rat. you have to do when you like make a fifteen minute orphan. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fifteen minute orphan. I mean, I guess if you think orphan. about it, because you had to drive all the way there and then back, so it was like a half hour. I was an orphan for like a half an hour. <laughs> Micro dosing, being an orphan. <laughs> <laughs> Nar. <laughs> 
talk jail. about that abandonment thing. <laughs> jail. All of us go to jail. We're all going to jail. Oh my god. Oh my god. Wow. Okay. Back to the. Ep- That's going to be a really cute little anecdote for our patrons. It will be. I <laughs> love it. Uh, back to the episode. That was actually perfect because I was going to share a uh, photo uh, to. Uh, with you guys of Phyllis Schlafly at a stop ERA protest in 1977. <laughs> and there it is. I can't, what was it? Stop. Stop, stop taking our taking privileges. our privilege. <laughs> that is a big ass badge. It's a big ass badge. Oh, um, yeah. I kind of stand her enormous hair. It's so big. I love her. Okay. Coat. Yes. The woman behind her made earrings. Yes. Oh, she did. She made stop earrings. Stop earrings. Stop earrings. Yeah, they have so much. F- I do love her coat. Not, like, I love her coat so I much. I feel like that white coat, the peak. Oh no, her coat is gorgeous. Yeah, I mean she had style. They look like they have a lot of time on their hands. They're all housewives, right? Yeah, this is this is giving gender critical. It really <laughs> is. Oh yes. Oh yes. yeah. It is giving like that is fully Kelly yeah. J. Keen. Oh, 100%. but like with nicer clothes, hair, clothes. teeth, and skin. Mm-hmm. A, a lot prettier. <laughs> yeah. So Phyllis argues. And it, lo- it looks like she has a soul. So well. <laughs> we'll see. Well. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, she does look like a nice old lady, though. Like you'd let her. Not she's not even old. She's like middle aged, but she looks like somebody who like you let her bake you a pie, you know. Yeah, um, she looks like. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Like her vibe is like it, she's doing a lot to appear, um, or to appeal to like a wide range of both men and women. Definitely. Like she seems like acceptable to men and like iconic to women. Mm-hmm. And even the women that like hate her might be like, well, I, I love that coat. I know. Cause like <laughs> that was my vibe. Like gender, gender critical people commenting on my series. There was quite a few of them were like, I fucking hate this disgusting man, but I loved his nail. <laughs> <laughs> It's giving, like, in... It's like, well, fuck you, but also thanks. In a project that we are collabing on, Kaylin, we've got, like, a whole big section about Anita Bryant. And it's, like, she's definitely giving very much that, like, I don't hate gay people. I love gay people. I just think they shouldn't have rights. Like, and, like, that really, like, nice kind of soft bigotry, she gives that. Like, she gives that, like, "Mm." you would let her make you a cup of cocoa before she'd call you a slur, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, she, like, spells it in marshmallows or, like, with a cinnamon shaker. Oh, yeah. Can you be that mad at that? (laughs) Honestly, if this woman... Handed me like a, a cup of hot cocoa with like nice whipped foam that said fag in top on the top in cinnamon. I'm like <laughs> absolutely die for it. Like I think I might make myself <laughs> one of those so much tonight. Money for that. <laughs> you could charge so much money for that in WeHo. <laughs> oh, I want it now. Just like a just like a gay coffee bar where where all the the drinks have slurs on them. <laughs> I would go back to being a barista. Eight dollars like, for that. Absolutely. <laughs> so 
as I said, the acronym for STOP ERA was STOP Taking Our Privileges. I hate when an acronym (laughs) has the word in it. Like when it's the acronym spells out the word, but then it has that. I hate that so much. Yeah. (laughs) Me too. It's bad. Well, because... I, I say it twice yeah. Yeah. when that happens. So in my head, yeah. it's stop, stop taking our privileges, <laughs> stop, stop which is like now, now a double negative. To take it. <laughs> so yeah. Like take our privileges. <laughs> uh, Phyllis argued that the ERA would take away gender specific privileges for women, including uh, dependent wife benefits under social security separate restrooms for men and women. It's always with the motherfucking Fucking public bathrooms. bathrooms. God damn it's it. It's always bathrooms. <sighs> always like, bathrooms. I've never thought about bathrooms this much in my goddamn life. Me either. <laughs> um, like, these piss queens are like obsessed <laughs> with fucking bathrooms. Little piss queens. <laughs> little piss queens. <laughs> <laughs> you filthy little piss queens. <laughs> And uh, Phyllis also argued that if the ERA were ratified, women would have to get drafted. So that's where that (laughs) stupid fucking argument against her had its genesis. Like, how many fucking times have you heard that where you're, like, talking about, like, I don't know, like, the pink tax or something. And and a guy is like, well, what, do you want to get drafted then? If you want to have equal rights, you got to get drafted. And I'm like, well, personally, I think... There's a third option here where nobody gets drafted, but <laughs> right. Like maybe there's a third better thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have you considered that? Maybe I want all good things and not bad things. Right. <laughs> we don't have to have the bad choices, you know. We could just the fact I imagine them just like standing there, like blinking, like I don't want, I, would, I don't, I don't understand. understand what you mean. Wait, <laughs> this what doesn't if make you any have sense to me. And not the bad things. <laughs> They're like, but then, but how? How would we war? It's like. <laughs> She also cl- okay again equal rights amendment. It's it's just saying like this is saying that the federal government can't discriminate based on at this point just sex because gender identity hasn't even entered the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she claimed that the ERA would lead to gay civil rights, which would lead to churches having to marry gay people, which would somehow lead to Americans being forced to get gay married. It's like if you give a mouse a cookie, but with the queer. <laughs> America- America's going to have to get gay married to France or yeah. something. That's the, the way that sentence came out. Sorry, what is if you give a mouse a cookie? If you give a mouse a cookie, that mouse will force you to gay marry him and become a communist. (laughs) Yeah, is it was was slippery slope a a big? Yeah, was that a was that a children's book that was big in Canada? Because it was huge here. Yeah, was it? I I have no idea. It's I mean, like, if you give a mouse a cookie, he'll ask for a glass of milk. And then if he has a glass of milk with cookie, he'll get crumbs on him. And you'll have to give him a bath. And then you'll have to tuck him into bed. And it's basically like, don't don't give anybody anything. <laughs> um, all of these things sound so much fun. <laughs> okay, I, I Googled it. And number one, I would love to give this mouse a bath. 
and he's so cute him it's in. very cute like, it's a very cute mouse i would spend the rest of my life playing with this mouse and i want to give him a cookie and i'm gonna buy this fucking this, thing um the moral of it on. like though is like if you do anything nice for anybody they'll start asking more of you so yeah. never give them anything um if you give a mouse a cookie that mouse will fuck your wife <laughs> that mouse will that gay mouse will gay fuck your wife. Well, somebody's going to. <laughs> like, somebody's got to, and it's not going to be me. This is, what year is this? 19 who? Oh, I don't know. It was it was a big thing when we were kids. When, no, when... Uh, oh, the Equal Rights was, Amendment? Yeah. Schlafly? Yeah. The 70s. Yeah. Okay, well, if it's the 70s and I have a wife, I am going to leave cookies out so some... So someone will fuck will your wife. And, satisfy her oh. in a way that i never well, will that's very that's very nice of you i assume in this like theoretical situation you still like your wife she's a good beard yeah of course okay. of course obviously uh so schlafly turned the campaign for the equal rights amendment into a war on traditional gender oh my roles. god <laughs> and as we know no not traditional gender, traditional, <laughs> traditional gender roles what are we gonna do <laughs> I'm imagining, like, I must be hungry because I'm, like, imagining cinnamon rolls right now, like, traditional gender rolls. One's got, like, pink frosting. Pink and blue. One's got blue. Gender reveal. <laughs> Not my traditional gender roll. I like the blue frosting. This is an old family recipe. I did have a little bit of cannabis in the last episode, so that could be where that intrusive thought is coming from. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so as we know, um, as a bunch of degenerates, any threat to traditional gender roles is a threat to the foundation of society itself. Yeah. Of course. That's why we do it. Yep. That's what yeah. makes it fun. <laughs> obviously why I'm an SJW. <laughs> After after she founds and becomes the chairwoman of a stop ERA, <laughs> she founds oh it's so good. In like it's written in all caps because it's uh because it's two acronyms, so it's just like always in all caps in my document, and it's very funny every time I see it. <laughs> uh, so after after she founds and becomes the chairwoman of Stop ERA, she founds the Eagle Forum, which is another conservative think tank still around today that bills itself as, quote, pro-family and is largely described by critics of the group as an anti-feminist conservative interest group. Sounds about right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, at the time that she created the Eagle Forum, she billed it as an alternative to women's lib. She called the women's liberation movement, quote, the status degradation of the full-time homemaker, and decried things like the ERA as an attempt to take away women's privilege to be protected by men. Hmm. She has, remember, at this point, been an activist and politician for around two and a half decades. Uh, and she uses she used her skills as an organizer to do outreach among housewives and to rally them into a significant political co coalition. She uh, coached the housewives in how to run phone banks, in how to dress and smile for the camera, and how to speak to the press. Anti-ERA activists used traditional symbols of the American housewife and took homemade foods like breads, jams, apple pies, etc., to state legislatures, uh, le legislators with slogans like, quote, 
preserve us from a congressional <laughs> jam, vote against the ERA sham. <laughs> oh, no, you're rhyming. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> stop. A rhyming pun. I mean, into jail the for well. That. Into you're the well. Into the well. I'll keep the jams, but still. <laughs> yeah. Another slogan was just, I am for mom and apple pie. Excuse me? All right. Well, me too, but fuck? it doesn't mean that I'm like an anti feminist. I am for mom and apple pie. So if we don't vote for you, all the moms and all the moms will be murdered. They'll never be uh, apple, pie apple pie again. Pie, and they They'll are be obviously gone. The, the keeper of the secret recipe for apple pie. And are the well, only ones well, able to make men it. are not able to make a pie their hands are far too muscular from making sawdust <laughs> i don't know making sawdust oh yeah i work at the I'm sawdust sure. factory where i make sawdust with my Just hands crushing logs all day <laughs> laboring for 12 hours at the sawdust factory <laughs> where does all the dust come from the sawdust factory obviously. oh my god <laughs> manly shit uh but that's why he needs to come home to his barefoot pregnant wife, his clean house, a cigar, and, and a glass an of bourbon pie. every night. He's labored for 90 <laughs> hours a week at the sawdust factory. <laughs> Prominent feminists at the time, like Gloria Steinem, remarked on how ironic it was that while Phyllis Schlafly advocated for women to be full-time mothers and wives, she herself was a newsletter editor, touring speaker, and political activist while also studying for her Juris Doctorate, which she was awarded by the Washington University School of Law in 1978. So they were like, hmm, little hypocritical and ironic that you're doing all of these things while saying that women's place is in the home. Inspired by this bizarre contradiction, author Margaret Atwood would base the character of Serena Joy in her 1985 novel The Handmaid's Tale <gasps> I uh, love Serena. On, oh my god. Uh, on uh, Phyllis. Uh, so in The Handmaid's Tale, Serena Joy is a former te uh, televangelist and singer that the protagonist recalls seeing on TV when she was a little girl once the useful mouthpiece of the totalitarian theocracy established before the start of the novel, Serena Joy is barred from continuing to have a career outside of the home by the Republic mm -hmm. of Gilead. Um, so the character of Serena Joy is supposed to be a, an exact analog of, of Phyllis Schlafly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's bonkers. As someone who has watched every season of that sicko torture porn TV show... It's very, <laughs> I love I'm her. like, well, because I'm like obsessed with Yvonne Strahovski or whatever the fuck her name is. She's, She's amazing. so good. Um, oh, Kaylin, I didn't yeah. know that you watched that show. I, we got to, we got to talk about it sometime. Yeah. <laughs> I only yeah. saw the first season that like ends where the book, I was obsessed with the book when I was younger and I was very yeah. bitter that they cast a couple of hot people for, um, for what was it? The commander and, um, the commander and, and his wife. Yeah, I was, I was, because in the book they're supposed to be like a couple of middle-aged, like not hot people. Um, right. And I was like, why are people sexy? I don't want to find them attractive. <laughs> I don't want to find them Actually, sexy. that's that's a very, 
Yeah, that's a very fair criticism because if they looked like the Dursleys, yes. right? I feel like the vibes of the show would be very yeah. different. Whereas, like, I saw a lot of gays on Twitter being like, "Oh, if I got sent to his house, well, and I had not to so much lay no. down, lay down yeah. for him," <laughs> which is like it's always such a creepy thing because they like intentionally make the most disturbing fucking character is like so hot for yeah. no reason it's like people in real life aren't this hot yeah. you don't need to you make, need them, to make hot. them hot you could find some like you could find some like b-tier level hotness for an and, actor and uh, make the, like ritual that they do like the sex ritual that they do so much more disgusting and yeah that's fair actually yeah she's getting plowed by this like yeah. red-faced awful man that's fair yeah and uh it, so in the show, um, yeah, he's played by yeah. uh, Joseph Fiennes. And it's interesting because he's in the second season of American Horror Story playing mm-hmm. a priest. And when I was rewatching that, I was like, he's really good at playing a character who really thinks he's like a good person deep down, but is obviously a piece of shit. Like, he's really good at that. Um, like, I really love him in Handmaid's Tale. And I really liked him in the second season of uh, American Horror Story. He's excels at that so i maybe that's part of also why they decided to cast younger hotter people so you sympathize with him more i mean like you do start to maybe sim- sympathize with him a little <laughs> bit in the book because he like makes friends with her but that's supposed to be like oh this is how like under this is how he under it, it's like another level we make friends creepy. with our with our oppressors yeah yeah See, look, I'm one of the nice ones because occasionally I let you wear makeup or yeah. read a magazine yeah. or something. Or come play chess with I'm still me gonna rape you later. every month. But um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, fucking, for all her faults, that book is a fucking masterpiece. I love it so much. It's a good book. Phyllis was aware of this particular criticism of her that she was a hypocrite because she was a career woman advocating for women to stay at home. Uh, she was a, a bit of a Serena <laughs> yeah. Joy. Um, so she was aware of this particular criticism by feminists and would actively try to bait them. At a pro-family rally in 1977, she started a speech with, quote, I'd like to thank my husband, Fred, for letting me be here today. I'd like to say that because it irritates women women's libbers more than anything. Purposely trolling the libs. And it just occurred to me that, like, her um, husband's... Her husband's name is Fred, like oh the guy in, like, the commander. Also, yep. That just oh, occurred to me. Yes. That just occurred to me. <laughs> That's also, like, I, I don't stand her, but, like, I would 100% love to see a character uh, pull this on TV. Yeah. I haven't seen it, but there, a few years ago, there was a, I think it was a series, not a movie. There was a series about her where Kate Blanchett played her. Mm. I kind of want to see it. Oh, wow. Okay. A lot of people were criticizing it at the time because it was like you cast Kate Blanchett and it kind of humanizes mm. her and she was a monster. But like, yeah. same. Like, I want to see her say yeah. things <laughs> like that and just be an absolute bitch <laughs> because I, I think that's fun. <laughs> uh, and Kate Blanchett's so good at being a bitch. She she's so good. I mean, she's so good at everything she does, but she's so good at being a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> So as we as we all know, in 1973, the Supreme Court of the United States made its landmark decision on Roe v. Wade overturned earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And that enraged and mobilized a big chunk of the religious right. And Phyllis capitalized on that. She weaved abortion rights into the anti-ERA campaign. Of course. She 
insisted that uh, they were part of the amendment's goal of destroying the traditional family. Like, if you ratify this amendment saying that there are gender, that um, there's not allowed to be disgr- discrimination based on gender, there will be more abor- abortion. Um, it will be more common. And she was one of the first uh, conservatives to uh, turn abortion into a conservative culture war. Because weirdly, like before, like um, Schlafly and Jerry Falwell and like this moral majority movement in like um, the 70s and 80s, abortion actually wasn't like that big of an issue with either side of the aisle. It became a wedge issue because a few um, politicians wanted to use uh Roe v. Wade and turn it into a culture war issue in, in order to win other political yeah. games. Hmm. She also opposed universal daycare, a policy that had bipartisan support, god damn it, until Phyllis Schlafly campaigned against it as communism. <laughs> yeah. So what? like <laughs> who's against uni- daycare? Like, taxpayer funded <laughs> what daycare. Kind universal of- <laughs> daycare was uh had um bipartisan support in the 70s. Um and actually it was like brought up um Mm-hmm. by i can't remember which first lady but like a republican first lady at the 1977 women's convention because it was like it was just like everybody was like we should have taxpayer funded daycare so that like there is universal daycare whether whether or not you can afford it and that had like that was so people could work yeah like- so that people can work <laughs> and and that right. was another thing where it was like it wasn't like a democrat support this and republicans don't think it was a bipartisan issue um, yeah. mm-hmm. And Phyllis Schlafly fucking shat all over that. She campaigned against it as communism and an affront to traditional motherhood. Because if there's universal daycare, then it means that oh, women are going and working out of the home. Mm, it encourages them to be sluts and go out and meet men and yeah. do things that aren't mothering. Meh. Aren't staying home with the baby all the yeah. time. Phyllis was an expert at fueling moral panics and is now credited with expanding the scope of the Southern strategy, the Republican Party's strategy of appealing to the backlash to the civil rights movement to also include the backlash to the women's liberation movement. Um, So a lot of people talk about the Southern strategy is how like um, a lot of uh, in the in the 60s, a lot of Southern Democrats were convinced to vote Republican because um, the Republican Party adopted um, opposing the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and um, opposing desegregation to uh, basically garner um, racist Democrat votes. So she expanded that to also include backlash to women's lib so that the misogynists who maybe weren't against desegregation are like, well, I am against women, uh, so I'll vote Republican. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> As I stated at the beginning of the episode, the ERA failed to be ratified by its original deadline of March 22nd, 1979, wholly thanks to the efforts of Phyllis Schlafly and Stop ERA. There was an attempt to extend the deadline to 1982, but because no additional state legislatures uh, ratified the ERA between March 22nd, 1979 and June 30th, 1982, the validity of that disputed extension was rendered kind of academic. So like, they were talking about extending it, but then nobody actually moved on that. So, like, whether or not it ever even got extended okay. yeah. is, like, didn't really make up to debate. Difference. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the late 2010s, there was a renewed effort to ratify the ERA, inspired by, among other things, the Me Too movement. In 2017, Nevada became the first state to ratify the ERA after the expiration of both deadlines, and Illinois followed in 2018. 
And in 2020, Virginia's General Assembly passed a ratification resolution for the ERA, claiming to bring the number of ratifications up to 38. But that's only if the original 35 ratifications are counted. So Mm -hmm. experts and advocates um, have acknowledged that there's some legal uncertainty about the consequences of the Virginian ratification um, due to the um, expired deadlines, first of all, because these are people ratifying after the expired deadlines, and also the those five states that revoked their initial ratification. Like, it's only 38 if you don't count the revocation. Right. Yeah. So it's still very much in a gray area and is nowhere near right. uh, becoming actually passed into law. Mm-hmm. In the wake of Phyllis Schlafly's success, Paul Weyrich and Jerry Falwell of the Moral Majority adopted Phyllis's tactics of appealing to white middle-class homemakers, the female counterparts of the white working class. Evangelical women have always been a mobilizing force among white supremacist movements, and Phyllis Schlafly figured out perfectly how to fuel their panic and turn them into a reliable voting block. So Phyllis kind of became the face of white suburban motherhood in the moral majority, mm-hmm. weaponizing this idea of the concerned middle-class housewife against social progress. Yeah. This white supremacist maternalism Mm -hmm. was adopted by the Reagan administration when Nancy Reagan became the face of the war on drugs. So you can't outright say by 1980, um, we like black kids are, uh, are lesser black kids. So, so we should police them more heavily. Right. But you can say that we, we need to, we need to just say no to drugs and we need to fight this drug problem and we need to be going into our inner cities and and urban areas and policing drugs and using those dog whistles and the the kind of soft bigotry of the Phyllis Schlafly's and Nancy Reagan's of the world um, in order to advance Mm -hmm. a white supremacist um, platform. And that's kind of what um, Jerry Falwell uh, really uh, adopted from Phyllis Schlafly because like um, in the lead up to the 1964 Civil Rights Act, um, they were using, employing more of a, um, uh, an explicit, explicitly racist, like um, talking points, you know? Um, so yeah, she, um, she definitely like kind of uh, crafted like molded this white supremacist maternalist uh version of that kind of like abstracted uh abstracted like uh talking points that that um advance white supremacy the pivot in tactics toward a softer kind of white supremacy was successful in leading to what has been a half century of conservative victories um so conservatives used to kind of be like where uh, more progressive um, parties were um, back in the day where they were like constantly like losing campaigns. Um, And post ERA, post Phyllis Schlafly, post Jerry Falwell, um, conservatives started making huge gains, sometimes incremental gains, um, but huge gains and started winning a lot of elections, started winning a lot of um, Supreme Court seats. Um, And that kind of started with this uh, pivot in messaging uh, in the second half of the 20th century. While stopping the ERA was her main claim to fame and re-energizing and changing the Republican Party for the worse was probably her greatest legacy, 
Phyllis Schlafly continued to be active in politics well into the new millennium. In the 1980s, she was one of the loudest voices insisting that the Reagan administration do nothing to address the growing AIDS crisis. Calling safe sex public service. Yeah, there were far too late into the campaign, but uh, into the campaign, into the pandemic. um, But uh, but still in the during the pandemic, um, there were safe sex like PSAs. Um, like government yeah. public service announcements on how to have safe sex. Uh, and she called those uh, public service campaigns, quote, the teaching of safe sodomy. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> like I'm in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Terrible. I mean, if you're going to practice sodomy, it might as well be safe sodomy. Yeah. yeah, right. Her hatred of gay people was a unifying force among evangelical and Catholic conservative voters who um, historically evangelicals and Catholics don't like each other very much. No, uh, they but don't. But they were both like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Well, you're welcome then <laughs> yeah. for bringing it together. I will, I will personally, <laughs> I will personally say you're welcome on behalf of the G's. Um, <laughs> you're welcome on behalf of the B's. Uh, her <laughs> hatred of uh, gay people, uh, also led to um, the kind of homophobic campaigns of the late 20th and early 21st centuries, um, uh, like the Defense of Marriage Act. Um, those were like kind of based on her work. Uh, so all those like um, actual like political movements and like proposed pieces of legislation based on homophobia were, were based on her um, kind of uh, political writings uh, and, and, uh, her, her thoughts and opinions that she was airing. The newsletter published by Phyllis's think tank, the Eagle Forum, also regularly published thinly veiled anti-Semitic articles decrying, quote, well-funded minorities supporting liberal causes and progressive social change. So it's another one of those, like, <laughs> international bankers kind of dog whistles. Mm. Yeah. In 1996, GOP candidate Bob Dole sought to liberalize the party's platform. Oh, Alan's here. I hear him. Hi, Alan. Alan is so loud right now. So loud. (laughs) Alan's having the best time at 6 p.m. on a Tuesday night. Uh, Alan, go away. I'm talking about abortion. (laughs) (laughs) Alan is out there 6 p.m. on a Tuesday alone, acting like serving like orphan realness, like nobody telling him to like microdosing being an orphan. (laughs) As I was saying before Alan so rudely interrupted me. In 1996, GOP candidate Bob Dole sought to liberalize the party's platform in regards to abortion, uh, and Phyllis Schlafly threatened a floor fight at the Republican National Convention if Dole changed the platform to even allow for exceptions for rape or incest. Wow. Oh, my fucking God. uh... Yeah. (laughs) She was like, if you let a single fucking rape victim get an abortion i swear to god bob <laughs> i will scratch your fucking eyes out <laughs> i swear to god bob i love I it care if it was her uncle <laughs> you will make that baby be born jesus <laughs> the repeal of roe v wade earlier this year is part of phyllis schlafly's legacy Via a number of political speeches and her mm. weekly radio broadcast, Eagle Forum Live, 
It's a fucking dumb name. It sounds fake. <laughs> it sounds like something we'd come up with for like one of our YouTube it's, videos. Yeah, I was about to say <laughs> that. It really does. It really does. It like, like, <laughs> sounds like something would be in a fucking satire. Right, be like, I 100% will make that intro for you. And it has the like classic like do 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 as like Eagle Forum Live comes around the And an eagle flies by going, Like a really shitty eagle logo. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that we both just did an eagle noise knowing <laughs> like I don't know what an eagle sounds like and I feel like I did crow I feel like I was I was not serving like American eagle sometimes, sometimes when I'm doing an eagle impression I purposely go because <laughs> I just I'm not I like how it, so. I like how there there's like a specific like sometimes when I'm doing an eagle impression just I'm by like, myself how often does this happen my impression might be very conscious I, I really think about the room I think about the context and then I commit to whichever you're like, you're like what is she best. going through when she because I'm an artist right now has she is she maybe she just laid some eggs she's feeling Was, a little postpartum me like what where what's what's her motivation here Cacao. you know her 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 nest her nestmate just got eaten by a cat like oh no she's yeah. oh she's she's so sad because she just like lost her whole nest to ddt poisoning <laughs> the cacao's like really throaty like <laughs> She's crying over her soft eggs. (laughs) Her soft translucent eggs. What is this podcast? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) Okay. Um, Anyway, (laughs) while she was doing her fake radio show... Uh, Phyllis Schlafly continued to air her hot takes on a number of issues, including, I'm just going to go down a list here, that the establishment of the United Nations was, quote, a Trojan horse that carried the enemy into our midst and lured Americans to ride under alien insignia to fight and die in faraway (laughs) lands. Sounds poetic, Bestie, but I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I know she's using the word alien to mean foreign people, yeah. but I immediately thought like spaceships because that's just how crazy this shit eventually <laughs> like gets. Trojan you know, horse. Think of spaceship. QAnon or whatever. Like, yeah. I mean, I, let's not give her the benefit of the doubt. Like, maybe she does mean spaceships. Maybe. We don't know. <laughs> maybe. She got really into X-Files for a while. Okay, but where did the lizard people come from? Is it space? Because like she may, it's very likely she believes in lizard people. So like, it's not that far to like, they come from space. You're you're not, I don't really know the origin (laughs) of the the lizard people. (laughs) I can't say. I mean, I know what's the, when a, when a people and a lizard love each other very much. (laughs) When a people. (laughs) When you see an iguana that you just got to. (laughs) sorry oh this is a total sidebar for the patrons but uh i grew up in florida and in parts of florida uh including miami like um a whole bunch of people have like released their exotic pets like iguanas and like snakes and stuff into the wild uh, which is terrible because they're not native species Mm -hmm. but uh miami is like fucking overrun with iguanas um (laughs) but in the winter it gets too cold for them and they go into like their like 
cold-blooded hibernation situation and they just like you know where they're like basically dead but alive um right and they have like epidemics every year every winter of them like falling out of trees onto people (laughs) (laughs) oh yes i read about this it's so funny and sad (laughs) they're fine but it scares the shit out of people i remember reading about this for the first time in 2020 and people were like first covid now there's like iguanas just falling from the sky onto people (laughs) it happens every year it's very funny and very sad (laughs) it's so sweet uh don't release your pets into the wild you fucking freaks (laughs) okay sidebar (laughs) um that the establishment of the United Nations was a Trojan horse that carried the enemy into our midst and lured Americans to ride under alien insignia to fight and die in faraway lands. Uh, that marital rape doesn't exist. Mm. In a 2005 speech at Beats College in Maine, Schlafly stated, by getting married, the woman has consented to sex. And I don't think that you can call it rape. That was in 2005? In 2005. Literally, who the fuck asked you? Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder if I would have heard about this and just forgot about it. It I was in Maine. High school? It was Maine. So I might have heard about that. I don't remember it, but that's interesting. And I know Bates. I've been to Bates before. Has she ever considered shutting the fuck up? Never. Right? Never a day in like, her life. Like, no, like Never. literally nobody needs to know what you think about mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Like, What happened to being shoot. a housewife? Yeah. Go be a housewife and shut the fuck Jesus up. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> right? That workplace sexual harassment doesn't exist. Quote, men hardly ever ask sexual favors of women from whom the certain answer is no. Virtuous women are seldom accosted by unwelcome sexual propositions or familiarities, obscene talk, or profane language. So it was basically, basically like, if he's sexually harassing you, it's because you're already a slut. How would she know? Yeah, because virtuous women wouldn't have it happen to them. How would she know about yeah. what happens to virtuous women right. when she's literally never been one? Like... Maybe nobody's approached you. You think you're virtuous and nobody's approached you because that's because you look sour inside. You are sour inside. Like, like you you are are rotten Mm -hmm. from the outside in. Like, okay. That the Supreme Court was filled with, quote, activist judges who needed to be removed from their positions. She specifically called for the impeachment of Justice Anthony Kennedy after he voted to abolish the death penalty for minors. <laughs> so, She's wow. like, more killing kids, please. <laughs> Your... No abortion, kids. more killing Wait kids. Wait till they've grown up, at least. Let, let them ripen. Wait until they're born and then, and then kill them. Yeah, well, now let, you're supposed to let them get old enough that they now deserve it yeah like yeah what is the point what is literally what is the point to any of this like she just she's just a a hateful rotten person she just hates everybody (laughs) do you believe that she um like that she actually supported these things like in her heart or whatever she uses (laughs) like or do you think that she was trying to get um some publicity this was like clickbait like i'm gonna say the most uh outrageous mm. thing and hopefully get publicity for it like what's your vibe with your read on because her? her brand wasn't outrageous um okay. her like she would be um she would have like those like witty retorts to the feminists who criticized her like i'm thanking my husband fred for letting me be here tonight yeah. but her 
her brand was she was trying to like be wholesome. So I, I think she believed all of this. I think she believed that anything that helps anyone else is communism and therefore (laughs) it's bad. She would have uh, really liked uh, collectivism. Um, Uh, No, the other one, objectivism. Sorry. I said the wrong (laughs) one. (laughs) Yeah. She did not like collectivism. No, she hated collectivism. She would have been all about uh, Ayn Rand. (laughs) Yeah. And she believes that uh, feminists wished to eliminate gender. Hell yeah, this old chestnut. <laughs> uh, quote, operating like a censor- censorship Gestapo, the w- feminist movement has combined primary grade readers, school textbooks, and career guidance materials to eliminate any me- mention of the gender neutral traits of youngsters. Or, sorry, the gender traits of youngsters. I'm. I'm inserting gender neutral there <laughs> soon you can't say the word woman anymore <laughs> yeah literally like this boring old talking same fucking energy she's such a fucking turf yeah <laughs> hoots can you bleep the word from now on imagine if i did it through the whole episode no more w slur <laughs> and the f slur the other f slur <laughs> oh my god we could probably go viral for that <laughs> bleeping like podcast podcast with handmaidens and and air quote non-binary man keeps <laughs> the word <laughs> you can't even say the word anymore <laughs> the w word <laughs> Mm-hmm. In 2016, Schlafly endorsed the candidacy candidacy of our favorite special boy, Donald J. Trump. Our <laughs> my our favorite big boy. <laughs> oh, big boy! Little, little red cheeked cutie. <laughs> my favorite Twitter account. <laughs> uh. Causing a rift, uh, her endorsement caused a rift with uh, fellow Eagle Forum members, including her own daughter, uh, who supported the candidacy of Ted Cruz. But before she got to see the unfortunately successful election of Donald J. Trump to the presidency, cancer did the world one big solid and finally sent Phyllis Schlafly to hell. Thank you, cancer. Thank you, you, daddy cancer. Rare W for cancer. (laughs) (laughs) Phyllis Schlafly finally went to hell on September 5th, 2016. She was 92 years old. She lived for way too long. Jesus Christ. Damn. Way too fucking long. Why do some of these people live so fucking long? You think the hatred would just burn them up? Hatred is a preservative. They wash their hands with blood (laughs) watch your hands in the blood that must be it (laughs) jeez credit where credit is due gave it up for cancer (laughs) (laughs) broken clock (laughs) excuse me uh that was uh that was a really interesting one oh my god 92 92 fuck off 92 and cancer took her out like that's just go to sleep and yeah. don't wake up age. Right? <laughs> like, you don't even need cancer. That's, like, such literal overkill. <laughs> like, Satan like, had to send <laughs> cancer to kill her. He was like, wait, where's Phyllis? Wait, she's still up there? Fuck. Okay, someone go send some cancer. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Phyllis is you at the dollar store. <laughs> She gets 
can have anything you want. <laughs> you can pick one can of pick anything. One. It, was, it was Rite Aid, but yeah. She's like, what about what about this rat, eh? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Don't tell your mother about this. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, not this 92-year-old orphan waiting for daddy's to come pick her up. <laughs> I was supposed to be here 30 years ago. <laughs> uh, that Actually, that makes a lot of sense. It explains who Satan's she was orphan. on Earth, though. If, like, <laughs> Satan brought her to Earth for, like, a, a day trip and forgot her up here. Right. Because time moves different in hell. And it was, like, 15 minutes for him. But she, like, completely ruined women's rights, like, by the time he got back up here. <laughs> He's like, oh, whoa, shit, you really ran with that, huh? <laughs> Um, this is an adorable story, by the way. Like, I would, I would pay to watch this. Like, little Nikki, but girl, girl boss. boss, little Nikki, yeah, Philly. <laughs> oh my god, little Philly, little Fifi. I will go watch been, this. This episode's also been interesting for me because I had a great aunt Phyllis, so <laughs> and she was actually like a really sweet. I mean, she she was probably conservative in some of her politics, but she was like the sweetest, so sweet no like more. old lady ever. It was actually really sad when she died. Um, she and my grandmother, her sister, would talk to each other every night from seven o'clock to eight o'clock every night yeah, that's for adorable. like oh, that twenty adorable. years. It was really cute. Um, so like this whole time being like, yeah, Phyllis, you bitch. There's a part of a part of me that's like, oh no, <laughs> not that, not Aunt Philly steak and cheese. The other one <laughs> that's what that was her nickname i have i have an aunt phyllis oh, as well yeah. not a not a great aunt phyllis this is my dad's my dad's youngest sister and she's nice she's dope give it up for give it up to all the good, good phyllises two of the good yes, phyllises the give it up this this is de- dedicated to the good phyllisy the phyllisy the philip philipods well i don't have an aunt phyllis so i guess i can just be left out <laughs> I guess, I guess that's fine. Kayla's like, whatever. You like both called each other before the episode to be like, let's both say let's we have an Let's purposely Aunt leave Kaylin out of this. Kaylin's Why? Because it'll be fun. <laughs> well, <laughs> from now on, we'll just be like, I guess you wouldn't get it. It's just like a, an Oculus thing. <laughs> You have to know a Phyllis to really get it. Oh my god! Oh, I was gonna tell this story, but I guess I won't because Kaylin doesn't have an. No, we'll just Phyllis. talk about it. We'll just talk about it later, Mandy. Yeah, we'll talk privately. <laughs> just Aunt Phyllis things. Actually, you know what, Hoots? If you and I ever collaborate on a video, we need to remember that joke for the, the script because I think that'd be hilarious. I'm literally crying. <laughs> we had Hoots and I decided to collab on this video because Kaylin would have kissed. It's just an Aunt Phyllis thing. thing. Sorry. Uh, if you have an Aunt Phyllis, if you have an Aunt Phyllis, uh, if you're watch- listening on YouTube, leave a comment about your Aunt Phyllis. If you're listening on your favorite podcasting app, leave us a review in which you say Aunt Phyllis. <laughs> At some just, point in your just Aunt Phyllis. <laughs> anywhere. Anywhere in it. Doesn't have to make sense. Doesn't have to be great. I'm also okay with just a review that just says Aunt Phyllis. Uh, as long as it comes with five stars. Um, back stars. when we did the Esther Queer, we used to ask people to leave five stars and just a review that said 
I listened to this. <laughs> I love it. We got, I listened like, to this. My favorite. My absolute favorite. That's amazing. That's fantastic. I absolutely love that. This is amazing. I love I love the mythos that we created for this like montage girl boss, like daddy devil's girl, devil daddy's girl. Yeah. We made a whole movie about her life. Just left in a CBS. <laughs> I like that like in in the grand scheme of the universe, Earth is just a fucking CBS. Earth is CBS. <laughs> Maine is like an aisle at the at it's fucking the Dollar Halloween Tree. Aisle. It's the Halloween aisle at a, Obviously. a CBS. That's or why an Stephen old King is there in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very specific mood. And yeah. Oh my God. Well, I'm glad this did turn out to be a little Halloween y. Yeah, it did, didn't it? Yeah. Thanks to, your, thanks to your rat. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, rat, again. You helped. And but legit, like, I was like, oh, that'll be a good story for the patrons. But now it's like so tied into the end of the <laughs> We have to, we have to keep that part in. <laughs> it's in for everybody. <laughs> I didn't realize that this was going to be such a big plot point. <laughs> You're canon now, Radigan. How's that feel? <laughs> Scared the crap out of me. Sorry. Oh my god. (laughs) I'm literally crying. My glasses are steaming up. Uh, uh, He's so old. So that's the episode. episode's over. I think it's over. (laughs) Yeah, that's enough. I think that's that's what it ends is the squeak, right? Bye, bye rats. Bye, rats. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Respect the Dead. You can follow Respect the Dead on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Respect the Dead. If you want to follow us individually, you can find our socials in the show notes. And you should check out our YouTube channels. We don't shit on dead people there as often, but still, we're making tons of cool stuff. If you enjoyed Respect the Dead and would like to support us, there's a couple of ways to do that. You can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us. Give us at least five stars and then share us with a good friend who likes venting about dead people. You can also give us some money over on our Patreon. Patreon supporters get some cool bonus content like bloopers from the cutting room floor and even coming up with a fake sponsor ad that we'll read in an episode. It has to be a fake business, though, not your MLM, honey. Thanks so much for listening. Join us every Monday for our next Worm Feast. I'm Kellen Conrad. I'm Aileen Mandy. And I'm Hoots. Bye. 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 Bye.